Masechet Gitin, Daf Zayin. We start off with some Agadah, and then uh, we'll continue with the Mishnah and the Halakha of the Mishnah. So the Agadah continues with the theme of Sirtut. We mentioned before uh, in the previous Daf that when someone is writing a Pasuk, or even three, four words of a Pasuk, um, even, even within a letter, uh, one has to score the parchment and write it because it indicates, kind of like quotation marks, that indicates this is a uh, a quote from a pasuk, and it has special holy significance. So you have to write it like in a Sefer Torah with scoring. So we'll have a couple of stories that include that detail. Shalach le Morukva el Azar. A Morukva was the Resh Galuta, the exilarch of Babel, meaning he's in charge of the whole community, answers to the government, which means he had close ties to the government, very important political position. Morukva was also uh, a sage, wouldn't say he's at the level of the other sages, um, but he was uh, certainly a pious person. And uh, sometimes, um, as you might expect, uh, there could be some tension between the Resh Galuta and some of the other sages. Sometimes his politics come in, and uh, so they, uh, sometimes there, was, uh, there were problems. So this is going to address what's such a case. Morukva sent a letter to the Be'elazad. He sent a letter to Eretz Yisrael. He wants to know to be Elazar's opinion. If there are, there are some people who are standing against me and they're causing me trouble. Can I hand them over to the government? So Morukva is in Bavel. So presumably he's going to hand them over to the Persian authorities since he has a close connection to them, right? He, he'll, he has the power to go and arrest someone. So he wants to arrest some person who is giving him trouble. We're going to see who the person is in a minute. Uh, Rabbi Al-Azhar answers in a letter quoting a pasuk. So when he, before he writes the pasuk, he scores the parchment and then quotes this pasuk from Tehillim. Uh, I said, I will take heed to my ways that I do not sin with my tongue. I will keep a curb upon my mouth while the wicked is before me. So the pasuk is about not to, it's not saying anything bad, even about a wicked person. So that's how he explains, even though there's a wicked person in front of me who is tormenting me, uh, bothering me, nevertheless, I'm going to keep my mouth shut and I'm not going to go and tell on him to the government and have him arrested, right? Um, I'll... Um, I should uh, take it and not uh, and not respond back with negative words. So, in other words, he's saying, no, you cannot uh, tell on him to the government, even though he's tormenting you. <clears throat> that is not not a way to deal with it. Later on, sent another letter. It says, no, no, you don't understand. He's they're really tormenting me a lot, and I can't stand it. Um, uh, stand up against it. So he sent a different pasuk, um, uh, and uh, the, the, also from Tehillim, uh, resign yourself and be quiet. Vitcholel literally means and be patient, uh, have faith in Hashem. So he interprets this to mean dumb, right? Be quiet. And if if you're quiet, even though people are attacking you and you don't respond back, Hashem will take care of them. He's taking taking hitcholel, uh, which means to uh, to 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 wait for, to appeal to, to have your hope in. 
as instead uh, being related to halalim, uh, uh, the uh, corpses or the people dying. In other words, you be quiet, Hashem will take care of your complaint. Um, all you, what you should do is go early and stay late uh, in the Bet Midrash earlier than those people tormenting you. So you see, this is not just, you know, common thugs in the street. This is other sages. Um, and then they will be, they will be gone of, them, of themselves and you won't have to do anything. If they're really bothering you and you're in the right, Hashem will uh, give them what's coming to them. And sure enough, Rabbi uh, Al-Azad, the matter immersion from Al-Azad, he sent that letter, and sure enough, it came true. They took Giniba. Giniba is a known Amora of the first, second generation. He's quoted as one of the sages, and otherwise, we know him as, you know, simply one of the Amoraim, and so, otherwise, a great person. Uh, but it seems that there was some, some uh, t- tension, some contentious matter came up, and Giniba was... Uh, against uh, Mord Ukva, so maybe some kind of political, I'm assuming it wasn't physical violence, uh, but rather, you know, verbal uh, uh, problems that he was saying, out of whatever, Mord Ukva is not uh, not worthy, he should not be Reshko uh, Alutao, he's doing something wrong. And so, anyway, Mord Ukva was very bothered by it, but he didn't do anything about it, he didn't send him to the authorities. But sure enough, somehow or another, it happened anyway that Giniba was arrested by the authorities and put into a neck brace, a neck iron, as you could see here, a figurine in a neck iron. Basically, he's arrested, our version of handcuffs, but um, seems a lot more uncomfortable. And, and uh, serious criminals were put in this kind of neck brace um, to be arrested or before capital punishment. So uh, we don't know the rest of the story, what happened to Giniba, um, but whatever it is, um, um, so this was a serious matter. I'm not sure if this was what the motive I was hoping for, that now he'd be taken away. Was he ever seen again? I don't know. But anyway, that, that solved the problem, at least for then. Now, another story. Some people sent a letter to Morukva to ask him a question. How do you know that? A song is forbidden nowadays after the Beit HaMikdash is destroyed. This is a theme that we're picking up on from the end of Sotah. And now this is why we're bringing it the same thing. When you're writing a pasuk in a letter, you score it first. And he wrote, pasuk and Oshea, do not rejoice Israel uh, like other people do, or maybe because of people. So it says, don't, don't, don't uh, be happy. Happy means with music. Um, singing, so that's how you know you're not allowed. The Gemara says, why did he quote this pasuk in Hosea? It doesn't actually explicitly says don't be happy. It doesn't actually talk about song. Why didn't say Bashir? Why didn't they quote this pasuk from Yeshaya? Bashir lo yishtu yayin yemar shechar leshotav. They do not drink wine with a song. Strong drink is bitter to them who drink it. That uh, seems the more explicit pasuk, Bashir. Because if you only quoted that pasuk, I would say shir and wine. It sounds like this is a drinking party with music. They're typically, that would be with instruments. So from that pasuk, I would only know that I can't have a big drinking party with instruments. Um, but let's say just singing a, a, a voice, a cappella, maybe that would be okay. So that's why he quoted this pasuk, Altismach. Don't have any um, uh, any type of joy through song at all, even if it's just singing. Uh, okay, so this is a source of this important halacha that's um, 
Uh, there are many exceptions to it, uh, like for a wedding, for a sudat mitzvah, you can uh, you can have uh, music and all that. So, but uh, this is um, his, so here he's quoting yet another. So this is a uh, uh, quoting one source for this. Okay, since we're talking about uh, the story about Morukva, not to take revenge against tormentors. So we have now, we're going to see a similar discussion uh, that's good to be quiet and not to go against people. And this is related to various cities that are mentioned in Yoshua, Perek Tetvav. Uh, it gives a list of uh, uh, 35 cities that are part of the tribe of Yehuda. And within the list of cities are mentioned Kina Dimona and Adada. So Ravuna asks Ravashe, what are these cities? And he says, these are cities in Eretz Israel. And he answers, yeah, I know that. Yeah, I know, I can read the Peshat of the Pasuk also. I'm asking you a, a, a deeper question. Rather, I'm referencing the type of explanation, the explanation that Avgevihavamadgiza said, who said that these these names, besides being literal or not being literal names, are actually uh, expressions, allegories for a uh, homiletic teaching and uh, actually it's like this kina stands for is for kina if someone has kina jealousy or hatred towards someone and let's say for a good reason the person did something to make them uh, want to feel to make them feel jealous um, so what should he do he should not go and confront them and be angry at them or rather domem be quiet and if that if you're in the right and uh, the other person wronged you don't worry and so that's Dimona is from Dom. Ad Ada is, is as Nus said, as two words. Ad Ad, he who lives forever, who dwells eternally, Hashem will do make uh, will make judgment on your behalf. So that's the same uh, message that Amorukva received. That someone's bothering you, just be quiet. Hashem will take care of it. You don't have to take the law into your own hands and go and um, and take revenge or anything like that. So Rav Asher asks, so I see see what you mean. You wanted this kind of allegorical explanation of these Pesukim and you provided one from Rav Gaviha, but what are you going to do with the another three places that are also in that list in Yoshua, Siklag Damadam Samsana. So also you can explain that allegorically. What explanation do you have for that? He says, listen, I don't know, but I do know that if he was an expert in this type of derasha, and he would give, um, yes, this kind of allegorical explanation of it. And in fact, another rabbi, Ravacha, um, from Bechoza'ah gave such an explanation. Anyone who has a claim regarding food, um, so that's siklag, right? It says something al that is his friend um, took away his food or didn't give him food. 
and he is quiet and doesn't go complain or or take revenge. So midamenaz be quiet and sensenaz refers to sene. He who dwells in the sene, Hashem will make judgment against him. Why see why is that significant that he who dwells in the sene? Why that appellation of God? Well, the message from the sene is oh, the Egyptians are enslaving and torturing my people. I am going to stand up and save them. That's the, that what Hashem tells Moshe in the Sine. And so the same thing here. Anytime there's someone who's troubling somebody else unjustly, you can rely on Hashem and He will take care of it. Okay, this is interesting because if you look in the Pesukim there in uh, Yeshua, um, the, oh, you know, why, why these? There's actually 35 towns uh, that are mentioned. How come they only make a derasha about six of them? Well, what about the rest of them? And it could be that this is inspired by the concluding Pasuk that says, all these cities are add up to Esrim Batesha, 29 towns. But if you count, it's 35. So therefore, uh, 29 are real towns. Those are taken literally. But six of these words, since they can't be, re- they're not actual towns because they're not in the, in the sum over here, must, must, be refer- must be read allegorically and therefore are teaching, these, teaching us these important lessons similar to what we saw uh, regarding Morukva. Now more about the Reshkaluta. There were many Reshkalutas. Every generation there was another one. So um, a, um, a later Reshkaluta said to Ravuna, Kilila menalan de Asur, how do you know that it's prohibited to put a garland on a groom's head? Right? Normally, as a sign of that he's the groom, the bride, they would put certain uh, crowns and uh, sometimes a garland may be made out of gold or silver on your head. You want, Ravuna answers, you want a source from the Torah? There is no source from the, from the Torah. It's a Dirabanan law, as the Mishnah says, um, that in the war, Pulmus, against of Vespasian, right, during the, the Great Revolt in 70, uh, the rabbis made a gezerah against the crowns uh, that grooms wear and also on drums. So that's the source. Interesting, they're quoting an explicit Mishnah, right? You see, I think that here from here, whoever this Resh Galuta was, they're not always the most knowledgeable. They do care about halacha. He's asking Rav Huna, he wants to know, but he doesn't seem to know this explicit Mishnah. Okay. Anyway, in the meantime, now they're talking. Ravuna had to go uh, relieve himself, and so his student was was also sitting there. And Avchista is a student; he's not going to say anything in front of his teacher against his teacher. It's not allowed. But when Ravuna leaves, Ravchista says, "I have a pasuk for you, Reshkaluta." Uh, uh, so says Hashem Pasuk from Yechezkel, take off the uh, turban um, and remove the garland. And then a curious phrase, this, not this, which uh, a simple translation is, this shall no longer be the same. He's referring to a Nasi in Israel, a king of Israel, and saying, that's it, you're no longer king, take off the crown, it's not going to be the same anymore, that which is low will be raised up, and that which is high will go down. Okay, right, things are going to change around here. That's the simple reading. Now, In the simple reading, you say, are just parallelism, two, two things that people 
put on their heads for glory. But misnefet is also what the Kohen Gadol wears. So it's asking, what does the misnefet of the Kohen Gadol have to do with the crown? When the uh, turban is, is worn by the Kohen Gadol and the Bet HaMikdash is standing and the Avodah is going on, then people can wear crowns like grooms. But once there is no longer a Kohen Gadol who can wear the turban, then the misnefet, then no no one is allowed to wear a crown, and that's the source that grooms may no longer wear crowns. Right? You can't how can you have glory on your head when we don't have the glory of the Kohen Gadol? with his uh, misnefet on his head. And so you see, um, Rav Chista was successful in answering the question of Resh Galuta and actually bringing a pasuk. It's not a pasuk from the Torah, all right? so it's not that he's considering it a deoraita, um, uh, but at least he's bringing a pasuk, uh, which is what the Resh Galuta was looking for. Meanwhile, Ravuna came back from the restroom. And he found him sitting and discussing the matter, and he heard what Rav Chista added, and he said, by God, right, this is a rabbinic law, and so you don't have to bring a pasuk, um, but uh, you really found a nice asmachta, Rav Chista, and Chista is your name, because it means favor, and your words find favor, right? I liked your source, That's I didn't think of that, I was just taking his question literally, and as and answering it with the Mishnah, but you can find the pasuk to um, that has a hint to it. It's a beautiful, a beautiful pasuk, beautiful derasha. Hazaku baruch. Ravinash kechelemor bar Rav Asher dava gadil kelila liberate. Now one time Ravinash found Rav Asher braiding a garland for his daughter for her wedding that she would wear as a crown on her head. So now read this Pasuk of Rizda, now everybody's quoting it. So he's saying, don't you agree with that derasha of the Pasuk that uh, when there's no misnefet on the Kohen Gadol, then you have to take off crowns. And so you you can't make a crown for your daughter for her wedding. No, that only applies to grooms, not to brides. Similar to the Kohen Gadol, who is a man, so two other men, grooms, cannot wear uh, crowns. But uh, women, brides, they can uh, continue to wear crowns. My zot lo zot. Now to quote this pasuk, what is this curious phrase, this, not this? Rabbi said it, and sometimes he said the name of Rabbi Ameh. He said this often. Sometimes he quoted it in his name, sometimes not in his name. Sometimes he quoted the name of Rabbi Arav Aseh. Um, at the time that um, uh, Hashem said to, to, to Israel, take off the misnefet, no more crowns, meaning when Hashem destroyed the Beit HaMikdash, causing the Kohen Gadol not to be able to wear the misnefet anymore, uh, the, the angels said to HaKadosh Baruch Hu, is this what Israel deserves? The ones who said, they so willingly accepted the Torah upon themselves, and this is how you're treating it? That's the Zot. Zot? That's the question of the angels. And Hashem answers, And Hashem answers, Can I, should I not punish them? 
punish them in this way. They take that which is lowly, and they made it high. They installed idolatry in the Bet HaMikdash. And that which is high, Hashem, they, they brought down. And so they deserve it. So the angel said, Zot, and, they, and uh, Hashem said, Lo Zot. And that's the meaning of that pasuk. Another statement that Rav Avira used to teach in public, sometimes in the name of Rav sometimes in the name of Rav Aseh. Uh, maybe they both said it. Says referring to enemies and says, even if these enemies be in full strength, and even if there are many, don't worry, I will take care of them, they will be cut down, they will pass away. Um, uh, even if I have afflicted you, I will afflict you no more, as the rest of the Pasuk. So we're taking it not to mean enemies, but rather, if a person sees that his food is shelemim, in the sense that he has just enough to get by, right? All he has is for, you know, enough calories for that day's meal or the recommended calorie count. Nevertheless, even though he's so poor, all he has is a meal to his name, he should still give tzedakah. Take a little bit, even if just a piece of bread, and give it to another poor person. Um, and all the more so if uh, someone has a lot of food, a lot of money, all the more so they should share it with the poor. So yes, even the poor chef to give sadaqah. And so what's the rest of the pasuk that will cut down and, and go away? And Peshat, again, it's talking about these enemies that are full. Um, similarly, uh, regarding Sedakah, anyone who shears, gozes, meaning like a shear, a sheep, um, and gives them to Sedakah, you don't keep everything, but you give some of it to Sedakah, will be saved from Gehinnah. This is a, a parable to two sheep that are passing over over a river and one of them was sheared so that has very little wool and one not sheared is full of wool so if you look at them you say which is better oh look this one has a lot of wool it's richer it's fatter but what happens when they go in the water the wool soaks up all the water the one that has a lot of wool sinks drowns but the other the other one who has less um, can pass through so always when you're traveling travel light and that's true in life right travel light and uh, and if you uh, g- give away um, some of your of what you have to the poor, and you're a little lighter, then you can travel through life's and its life and its difficulties more easily and be saved from trouble. And the continuation of the Pasuk that says, Though I have afflicted you, the afflict, uh, instead of we're taking this as ani, poor. Even if a, poor, a person is poor um, and he has to, he has to take, collect, take from, from charity, he should also give charity, right? You get from charity $10, give $1 back to the charity pot or to someone else who is in need uh, of it. And I, the rest of the pasuk, I will afflict you no more. Uh, also, I was referring to charity. Hashem will no longer show that person signs of poverty. Anech as lo anech. If a poor person gives to poor others, then he, he himself eventually 
will not be poor anymore. And I'm sure it's a kind of a uplifting and empowering feeling that even if things are tight for someone, that they can go and help out someone else who has even less. Then um, they, it's, everything is relative, and then and they can uh, they can feel um, uh, the, feel what it's like to not only take but also to give, and in that merit they will get out of their poverty. Rabbi Yehuda Omer, and now we're back to halacha in the Mishnah. We're talking about the borders of Israel, and we mentioned that uh, the border of the north on the north is Akko. Akko is the northernmost city. Now, now, is that true that Akko is the most farthest north of, of Israel? Um, we have this Tosefta and Ohalot that's also defining the borders of Israel for various various halachot. And it says if you're walking from Akko up north to Keziv. Uh, here's a quick map. Um, so Akko, uh, walking up north to Kaziv. So over here, it's like right, right on the border. But imagine it's like a little bit inland. And uh, um, uh, from Akko, you walk up to Kaziv, and there still be a thin strip of land on the coast. So if you're going up this, um, this highway, so you're going to have some land to the right and some land to the left. And so this Mishnah is teaching that this highway right here is dividing, is a dividing line between all the land on the right to all the land on the left that has different halachot. So here, let's go back. Um, so if you're walking on your right side, which is the east side, that's considered not part of Israel. And therefore, anyone who walks there has the law of Tumat Met Midrabanan. In Eretz Amim, maybe there's graves around or kind of a spiritual uh, impurity that applies to all lands outside of Israel. Also, you don't have to give Maser and the Shavit does not apply as it does not apply to anything outside the land of Israel. So that law applies to anything on the right of the road, unless you know um, that a certain place that you have to bring it, that is certainly part of Israel. Otherwise, you can assume that everything from that road on the right, not part of Israel. On the other hand, uh, literally on the other hand, So if on the left of that road, which is to the west, um, which would be a smaller strip from there to the coast, that is considered tahod in terms of the Tumav Eretz Amim because it's not part of the uh, the land of other nations. It's part of Israel. Israel does that. Tumah does not apply. And anything that grows there, you have to give Maaseid and you have to give Shivit because that is part of Israel. Unless you know for sure that you don't have to give. So any from the, from there to the left, you can assume is part of Israel. Now, how far does this go up? This road that you say that everything to the left is part of Israel until Kiziv. Another opinion says, oh, it's even a little farther north, a city named Lablebo. Also that um, the is a continuation. <clears throat> um, here's Lablebo, so you keep going there. So if you're walking from Akko and you go straight up, either to here or to here, then all the land on the left is still the part, a part of Israel. So here's the question. In the Mishnah, you said the northern border of Israel is at the latitude of Akko. But actually, we learned, we just learned um, that, yeah, that's true for in terms of, you know, the entire width 
of Israel, but there is a part of Israel that extends north and goes all the way up to Kiziv. So uh, really, Akko is not the northernmost border, so we have a problem. Then no, the base says, no, we're just talking about a little strip that goes up there. So a little strip. So we're, therefore, you can say the, the general border is at Akko for the entire latitude of most of Israel, except for a little strip that extends, but the uh, Mishnah was not so significant for our Mishnah to have to mention that. Now, now now we have a question. When you want to say what a, where a border is, you say that is so exacting, a highway, in this side of the highway, you cross the street, now you're on a different, uh, you're in a different country, on one side of the street to another, can you have a border that's so exact? And the answer is in. Yes, there is such a thing. And here's a pasuk that does the same, uses, uses a street as a border. Oh, when it's talking about this annual festival that they used to make in Shiloh, and they mentioned, where is that? It's on the north of Betel, on the east side of the highway that goes from Betel to Shechem, uh, south of Lebona. And the Papa says, what does this phrase mean? Uh, it means on the eastern side of that road. So you see, even the Torah uses a road to demarcate what, where something is. And so yes, that makes sense that there could be a road, and that would be the demarcation of uh, the land of Israel. On this side, you have to do Shibi'it. Uh, on the other side, on the right side, you don't have to do Shibi'it. So yes, um, Israel technically has a northern, um, a more northern point, but Akko is the general border across most of the latitude. Good. Tanah Hada. Hamebi get bisfina kimebi be eretz Yisrael. Vetanya idach kimebi be chutzalaaris. In a case where a messenger brings a get that was written on a boat. And so the boat comes and arrives at in Eretz Yisrael. Um, so does the messenger need to say So there's two but I thought that are say opposite things. The first one says it's like bringing it within Eretz Yisrael. Within Eretz Yisrael, he does not have to say it. But the other Braita says that if he's coming on a boat, even though the boat is coming and docking in Israel, it's like he brought it from outside. So now he came. And so therefore he does have to say it. Um, now, how can we resolve this contradiction of these two? But I thought, and he answers, there are two different opinions, in fact. That says, if you have dirt, soil, from outside the land of Israel, that's on a boat, and uh, the boat then comes to Israel, you have to, and something grows in that soil, um, so you have to give Maser and you have to give Shivit. You see, this is how this is uh, related to the previous about what's considered in the land of Israel, outside the land of Israel, for Maser and Shivit. And so now we wave our way back and we relate this to the original Mishnah about what's inside of Israel and outside of Israel for saying this formula. So here there's two opinions in the Mishnah. The first opinion says, even though the soil comes from outside the land of Israel, once it they, uh, the boat comes and, and docks in Israel, um, you, it's considered part of Israel, and so you have to give Maaseh and Shavi'it. So this opinion, of which is Rabbanan, would agree with the first Padaita, that is considered part of Israel, the boat is considered part of the land of Israel once it docks, and therefore, when the messenger goes and takes it, it's like he's 
um, taking it from Israel to Israel, within Israel, does not have to say the formula. However, I would agree with you that the dirt, the soil on the boat, is considered part of the land of Israel when the boat is skimming the bottom of the ocean floor. Um, right? It's a deep boat and it's uh, lay, it's uh, way down. And so then it's uh, it's touching the bottom, the, the floor of the seabed. Then, yes, it makes sense. It would, uh, everything would be, the soil would be part of Israel. But generally, when that's not true, when this, when it's simply floating, uh, then the is, then it's not considered part of Israel. And uh, would, you would not have to take, give ma'asad, it would not be chayav and shiv'it. So the biyuda would be the opinion of the second b'raita, that it's uh, that uh, something uh, get written on a boat that's um, that's being brought from the boat to someone in Israel. The boat, not touching the floor, is like outside the land of Israel. And so that the that that would resolve these two. But I thought the first one is Rabbanan, the second one is the Biuda. However, Abaye Amar Ha Vehad Biudahi, I can explain both of them according to the Biuda La Kashya. Kambizman Shenasfina Gosheshit, Kambizman Shasifina Gosheshit. The two Baraitot are not contradicting because one of them is talking about in a case where the boat um, is not touching the floor. If it's not touching the floor, then according to the Biyudah, it's not part of the land of Israel. And so that would be the second Baraita. That's like you're bringing it from outside of Israel, where the first Baraita is assuming. That the, but I, that the boat is touching the floor and that's why it is like within Israel so they were talking about two different cases and they're both Rabbi Yehuda uh, we'll end here and we'll continue with this analysis of this Machloket on the next stuff Baruch Adonai Le'olam Amen Ve'amen